Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars. In this year's series, we are taking a deep dive into the iconic spells of Dungeons & Dragons. What were they like at first? How have they changed? Are they better than ever? We're going to talk about all that and more. The magic user spell for this episode, which will probably be no surprise to anyone, it is the iconic, iconic ball of flaming goo known as Fireball. Yep. And Not to be confused with Flaming Sphere, a totally different spell. That's right. And this spell, one weird idiosyncrasy to note is that um, in the first few editions of the game, it's actually two words, fire ball, with a space in between. And so when you look up the original D&D, it's in the first book for original D&D, it's called Men and Magic. And when it talks about uh, magic user spells, here's what it says. It says fireball. A missile which springs from the finger of the magic user. It explodes with a burst radius of two, and then it notes uh, the difference between what's specified in chainmail. In a confined space, the fireball will generally conform to the shape of the space, elongate or whatever. The damage caused by the missile will be in proportion to the level of its user. A sixth level magic user throws a six die missile, a seventh, a seven die missile, and so on. Note that fireballs from scrolls, found in book two, and from a wand are six die missiles, and those from staves are eight die missiles. The duration is one turn. The range is 24. So I have one question right out the gate. Yep. Uh, what does duration one turn mean in context? Uh, I think those flames are actively burning for one turn. Ten minutes? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I'm getting at. It's a very good question. That is such nonsense, and I cannot imagine a single human ever playing it that way. I mean, I don't know. Um, I'd also like to express my gratitude that they were able to get that licensing deal that resolved the single word, two word thing, like that whiskey licensing <laughs> deal. Very important for the future of D and D. That's that's what that's about, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Let me see. Does it make a note about duration? I, I have to believe that it was meant to be a reference to how long something will burn because like none of the other the, the other spells don't necessarily have a duration if they if they really don't need one, you know? Right. Um like protection from evil has a duration of six turns. Okay, that makes sense. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. Um sleep has no duration because it's until you wake up, right? Sure. Levitate has a duration of six turns plus the level of the user. That makes sense because it's actually acting on a body. So yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess I guess taking that as a um as kind of a, a guide, right? Like if yeah. if you're looking at, you know, a duration, so if you if you're saying these flames are magical, then the magical flames will just be there and burn and they will consume and fill up whatever the area is, right? And they will be active flames burning for 10 minutes. But, uh, okay. I, I would suggest that probably very few people understood it that way. I could be wrong. I didn't play these rules, but that seems... So unlike everything that came after that, I I have to really doubt that, that even Gary looked at that and said, yeah, that was a perfect idea. Let's keep doing that. I mean, I honestly don't ever remember having a conversation about the duration of Fireball in ODD. Like, what a duration. It, it so. Yeah, it literally never like. I think that in my mind, I always just treated it like, okay, once the spell is cast, the flames themselves are real flames. So if they touch something that's flammable, it sure. could start catch, it could be on fire and then it will stay on fire until it burns out or it gets robbed of oxygen or until somebody puts it out. Right. Sure. Um, sure. The, the whole thing behaves like an incendiary grenade. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I didn't, yeah, I, I, I honestly can't remember. So I don't know if people played and bothered with it. Like, I, I just I don't ever remember having a conversation yeah. about this. So let's look at let's see if we if we can tell uh, anything about it when we look at the the next set. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. in in Holmes uh, basic, uh, you, you'll you'll uh, be uh, happy to know that they don't actually have fireball because Holmes basic only goes up to third level. 
PCs. And of course, third level spells can only be cast by, uh, it reminds us here, third level spells can only be used by magic users of the fifth level and above. They do list a list of third level spells. They, they list a book of third level spells and it has fireball in it, but they don't give us the description of those spells. So uh, Holmes oh basic Holmes basic is no help because theoretically, sure. you know what you, what you were supposed to do is play till third level and then go to AD and D. No, I get it. Right? It's just, Okay. It's just, it's just, but I mean, at least they mention it, right? And if you wanted to give them a, a a treasure reward of a book of spells with more than second level spells, then you now can do that. You just don't know what they're going to do necessarily. I mean, you know, theoretically. Sure. Um, so then we go to BX, and uh, in BX, it is in it's in the basic book, the the, the Moldvay basic, and it says that uh, the range is two forty. And the duration is instantaneous, so they automatic they auto- already like fixed the duration there for you. Uh, it's yep. still two still two words though, fire and ball. Um, and it says this spell creates a missile of fire that explodes into a ball of fire forty feet in diameter when it strikes a target. The fire ball will cause one to six one d six points of fire damage per level of the caster to all creatures within this area. If a victim of fireball saves versus spells, the spell will only do half damage. Example, a fireball cast by a sixth level magic user will explode for six to 36. That is 66 points of damage. So there's your 66 fireball. Yep. That is a, a damage value that has uh, endured some, some real staying power. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when we look at um, Beck Me, um, what you find is that you have to go all the way to the expert book to find the fireball spell. And uh, it's basically the same as as Moldvay. Uh, duration range is two forty. Duration's instantaneous. Uh, it's a fireball, a ball of fire of forty feet across. That's a twenty foot radius. Uh, they they specify the radius this time, um, and basically it's the same same damage, and uh, save save for half. So. Yep. So that so that's enduring, right? That's that's mm-hmm. staying. Um, and if we uh, if you look in. Um, in in Beckme, so that that was the expert. That was that was Mold Bay Cook expert. If you look in Beckme, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the it, it is the expert version of the book this time. It's not basic, so it's not the Mincer Red Box. It's Mincer uh, Blue Box, but the spell creates a missile of fire that bursts into. It's it's the same thing. Okay, yep. and they even give the same example of the of the uh, of the sixty six you know sixth level yep. magic user doing six to thirty uh, and it, explosion in a sphere forty foot diameter. So it's it, it's the same. It it doesn't change. It it's pretty much set at this point, and yep. uh, it's hard to change. Well, and what what's amazing about that is just what that scaling actually means, because we're going to see them get rid of that very mm-hmm. steep scaling. Mm-hmm. They start mm-hmm. capping the scaling because, yeah. yeah 11, 12, 20 dice is bonkers. Yeah. I mean, you're outscaling expected hit point gain mm-hmm. at those, you know, levels 10 and above yes. for all classes. Right, right. So let's let's look at at first edition because now now is when uh when you start to see sort of more explanation and whatnot. So uh it's now fireball one word. Um, it now gets the signatory yep. evocation. Yep. It's an evocation. Finally, spell. finally cleared things up with the Sazerac company. That's what they did. <laughs> and uh, it's a third level spell, of course, it has components. Range is 10 plus one per level. Duration is instantaneous. So I think they got rid of that that trouble of the uh, the, yeah. the the duration of one round um, or one turn. Yeah. Interesting that not a single person sort of tried to defend that and explain it in the in the later rules are just, we didn't ever mean one turn. Let's, let's solve that real quick. I, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, there might be something cause it does reference chain mail regarding some, some part sure. of that fireball spell in OD and D. So it's possible that there's some, there's some meaning to that based on chain mail. And I just don't know what it is. And I, and I didn't look it up. Uh, I didn't do my homework for this episode, folks. I didn't look it up. Many um, things are possible. Some yeah, are very unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, we had more discussions about Fireball from first edition than we ever did from OD and D. So I'm not even sure that I even caught that it had a duration in OD and D like way back when. Like I just it wasn't in my mind. It just never was. But anyway, so let's talk about the first edition. It says 
Fireball is an explosive burst of flame which detonates with a low roar and delivers damage proportionate to the level of the magic user who cast it. In other words, a six-sided die for each level of experience of the spellcaster. Exception. Magic Fireball Wands deliver six die fireballs, magic staves with this capability deliver eight die fireballs, and scroll spells of this type deliver a fireball of from five to ten d6 plus four of damage. The burst of the fireball does not extend expend a considerable amount of pressure, and the burst will generally conform to the shape of the area in which it occurs, thus covering an area equal to the normal spherical volume. The area which is covered by the fireball is a total volume of roughly 33,000 cubic feet or yards. Besides causing damage to creatures, the fireball ignites all combustible materials within its burst radius, and the heat of the fireball will melt soft metals such as gold, copper, silver, etc. Items exposed to the spell's effects must be rolled for to determine if they are affected. Items with a creature which makes its saving throw are considered as unaffected. The magic user points his or her finger and speaks the range, distance, and height at which the fireball is to burst. A streak flashes from the pointing digit, and unless it impacts upon a material body prior to attaining the prescribed range, flowers into a fireball. If creatures fail their saving throws, they all take full hit point damage from the blast. Those who make saving throws manage to dodge, fall flat, or roll aside, taking half the full hit point damage, each and every one within the blast area. The material component of the spell is a tiny ball composed of bat guano and sulfur. So you can really see Gygax getting to work on screwing the wizards, just... Up, down, and sideways with... You say that. I do say that. I say that specifically because uh, it melts all your treasure. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to give them that key reason to never, ever use this very high damage spell. But also, obviously, the backdraft effect is a, is a great reason to never use this spell. Uh, because knowing the volume of the area you're in is not reasonable for a player, ever. Well, so I, I get what you're saying, but here's the thing, right? The game back then was very, very gamey, right? And so the wizard, the magic user, was preparing spells that they thought would be very useful based on the information they had about whatever uh -huh. mission they were going on. Uh -huh. And what he was trying to stop was just everybody prepping a bunch of fireballs and just shooting fireballs and grabbing wands of fireball and doing all these things without having any consequences, yeah, the the consequences he goes for. Uh, there are better ways to do everything that he could. Uh, that he's trying to do here, other than, uh, well, you better not cast that. It'll melt your treasure. Like, come on. Well, I, okay, but that's that's when you say, okay, the wizard tells everybody get the heck out of the blast radius because I'm gonna fireball here, and if you don't want the gold in your in your you know in your coin bag melting, then you better sure. get the hell away. Sure. I'm talking more about gold already in the room that you haven't been able to extract yet because you're trying to clear the room. Yeah, well. I, I just think this is sort of uh, new changes that other writers before and after this didn't pick up and didn't, didn't you know. Well, okay. So I, I have two things the, to say the, about The that. Nether Presage and Copied. I, I have two things to say about that. The first one is that probably a lot of this was a result of discussions that happened at the table while he was playing, right? Yeah. And yeah. questions that people had and the people he was playing with were doing things like, okay, let's calculate the cubic feet of what this area total volume is going to be, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. there were people who did that. Like that that was something that people did when they were playing this game. So sure. that's first off. So he didn't put anything in here just because he was trying to – you know, have a fun laugh, but I, the I, I, I think you're wrong about that. Genuinely. I think you're wrong about that. The second thing I, I want to say about it is this definitely, I do agree with you that this is definitely, he's trying to force a style of play, but the style of play he's forcing is not just, Oh, don't use this powerful spell. Cause I'm going to punish you. That's not actually it. The style of play is I want you to really consider the consequences of using this extremely powerful spell so I'm going to make it difficult for you to use it because you should be working with your group to find a different way to either avoid whatever the challenge is or sneak around and steal that gold some other way so that the wizard doesn't have to cast fireball and melt all the gold in the chest. Yeah. 
Because that was that was what the if you read the DMG, the style of play that he is asking for is much more considered than just go in and wipe out the 20 goblins with a fireball and then gather the gold that didn't melt. Sure, sure, sure. So I agree with you that he's trying to put constraints on it, right? But I don't think he did it just for the laugh. And I know you I, disagreed with me saying I, that. but I, I disagree with that because of reading his commentary about his sessions and the the level of just uh, one-upmanship and adversarial play that goes on there. I I absolutely think I absolutely think that he wanted to like put one over on them in an adversarial way. Right, but that's that's not what I mean by for a laugh. I, I what I'm saying is he wasn't doing this just just to put crap in there. He was doing it literally to mold the challenge around the challenge his players were giving back to him. I absolutely agree with you. It was adversarial and it was about trying to get one over on each other because his players were doing the same thing. So so what I think happened is that he it, like he had players cast fireball. He was like well, this and this and this would happen. They had a huge fight about it at the table. Huge knockdown, drag out fight about it at the table. And then his concession to that fight was to spell out all of the drawbacks that he was coming up with on the fly in the rules text. That's what I think happened. And I think that happened because I've met game designers. Right, but I don't That's, see how that disagrees with anything I'm saying. Uh it absolutely disagrees with what you're saying. It means that it was not a carefully calculated decision to craft a play style. It was okay. No, no, that's not I, what I, I said. I decided though. to screw these guys at the time. Fine, I'll write that down. So now the next players that come along will know. You what. don't. You don't think that's carefully crafted? I think that's absolutely carefully crafted. I think they sat at the table arguing, and that's when the crafting was happening. That doesn't, right. that doesn't, that's, that's the same thing to me. Like he was playing this game and taking notes and whenever they would come back to him with some kind of reason why it should do this or that, he would have some other reason why it shouldn't. And he would have to come up with that and he'd be writing it down so that it could be codified. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same thing I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is he just didn't do it sitting at a desk, not thinking about anything except how could I really screw over players? He did it because he's responding to what was happening in his game. Yeah, uh, I, I just and think, based on I, conversations, I, think, I just think this idea came to him sort of as a moment of, man, he killed my monster and they're going to get a lot of gold. What if it melted all the gold? Yeah, screw them. That's how I think that happened. Yeah, but don't forget that in his game too, if they could find a way to, if the gold, if the gold eventually cools down and stops melting, yeah. if they find a way to take it out, they still get the money for it. They still get the XP for it. Yeah, fair enough. It was it well that wasn't a challenge that's gonna take away that gold. That na that changed the challenge from killing those creatures and taking the gold in a chest. It changed it from that to kill those creatures. Now the gold's melted. Now you gotta do something and wait around until it's solid enough again for you to pick it up and now you gotta find a way to take that weird amorphous previously melted gold and get it, you know, assessed to you know, appraised to find out how much it's worth now. Because trust me, those players were going to take that gold. Regard melting it didn't make them turn away and go, "Oh crap! I guess we'll have to get gold somewhere else." Right. Just the the holes that the NPCs inexplicably drilled in the floor that it <laughs> drained through would do that. Okay, but now we got to find the stairs to go down. I mean, like that's. I, I, I'm that, sorry. It, that's it drained the, into a. It drained into a, a sphere of annihilation. <laughs> no, come on. That I'm just I, saying, I'm, like this. I'm saying this is why I detest adversarial play because my limited experiences with it were negative one of that I'm describing of just, I mean, no, look, no, no. I've come up with a new way to say no. I have no way to say no to hell with you. No. All right. Yeah. All right, I agree. Right. That sucks really bad. Right. I'm, I'm not defending and, and, that at all. So okay. That's what I think was, was happening. Like I've been in nasty knockdown drag out fights at the table where just new way to say no. All right. That's cool. Look, I, I'm I'm not saying that's a great way to play. I, I'm not defending that at all. What I'm saying is that back then, back when I started playing, that you could have that game without it being so adversarial that 
you add that that sphere of annihilation at the end, right? Like melting the gold, that's a challenge to have to overcome. Having the gold fall through a hole and got to go figure out where it went, that's a challenge to find out, you know, how to how to resolve that. You know, going in and and having something cast polymorph on everybody and now what are you going to do? That's a challenge, right? Having the fireball suddenly get bigger or smaller depending on some kind of weird ethereal thing in the air and that changed how fireball did things. That's a challenge to overcome now that you know that air is weird in that area. Like that's there's a fine line, I agree, between doing something like that. And having it be adversarial and and having it seem like it's always just a new reason to say no or just a new way to say no or just a way to screw over everybody. But there's also a way to play this style of game that is not that, that it's just the GM responding to to what the players are doing with challenges that are making things more difficult or more interesting and maybe a little bit harder, but not totally impossible and not saying no. And that's how I learned how to play. And that was with this very edition that we're sitting here looking at. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, I get what you're saying. And and I wasn't at Gary's table. I don't know. I can imagine that he, yes, all of this was him responding to his players, trying to make sure that he could keep a tight rein on everything they could possibly do. But you can't tell me those guys weren't having fun. So that was the style of play they preferred and that that's the way that they sort of translated this this weird mysterious you know imagination game that they were creating at the table that's the way they did it it's not the way necessarily everybody else did it there is an implication in the of course rules are the setting right yeah but but i'm just saying like there's a different interpretation here that doesn't just because he wrote this and he was at a table where he was being really adversarial doesn't mean that everybody who read this was like, oh, yeah, my players would totally, you know, calculate how many cubic feet and and tell me that the, you know, the, the room size is the wrong size or the whatever, whatever. Like, I know that there were that there were those tables that did that. My table didn't necessarily do that. Right. So I, I don't know, man. I, I, but but what I was I, I don't think that what I was saying was all that different from what you were saying. I think you just have a very bad taste in your mouth from an adversarial GM, which is totally understandable. Uh, I mean, yes, I, I will cop to that 100%, 100%. Which really sucks because I'm sorry you had that experience because that that is like the worst possible. Well, like, like it, I, That I think is very connected to the very sharp drop off in adversarial tone between Gary writing first and Zeb Cook writing second. Mm-hmm. It is much harder to find a, an active promotion of adversarial play in yeah. Zeb Cook's presentation, right? Well, and again, part of this was that that Gary's game, and, and when I say that, I mean his actual game at his table and what he was writing for other people to play, in his mind, it was a game first. It wasn't storytelling hour. It wasn't about the great adventure that you go on, other than that that's how you're playing the game. But the point wasn't the story. The point was it's a game. So the job of the of the DM is to challenge the players, not necessarily the PCs, but Preferably, if both could happen, that would be great. Challenge the players and the PCs and see what falls out. And if they come back with something really, really smart, because remember, he also had 10 or 12 people at his table. And so he had to come up with very quick ways to counter all of the stuff that they could think of because there's 10 or 12 of them and he's only one person. So he's he's walking a fine line of trying to make sure that they don't break the game and that he's still challenging them and the game still works as a game. And to him, it still was a game. It still was that you set parameters and you play and then at some point there's going to be a die roll and that die roll is going to decide something. But before that, that's when you do all the negotiation and, and you're setting up everything. And that means that if you have to negotiate the area uh, that's covered by the fireball and you have to negotiate what the fireball will melt or not melt and all that stuff, he had to do that all. Because otherwise, there's 12 people and 12 brains are always going to be able to think faster than one brain. Sure, sure. 
But having said that, and, and so so you're right, though, I think. So here's where I was going with this. I think you're right about 2E. I think in 2E, people started realizing, you know what? The story part is fun in the game, though. And it can still be a game, but we could still add a bunch of story to it. And it's okay if some of the rules actually are meant to increase the story and not just increase some relative game mechanic, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that brings us to second edition. And in second edition, uh, it says this range 10 yards plus 10 per, le- per level, same as first I edition, mean, I think. There, there are almost uh, no changes in mm-hmm. the paragraph, in, in the, the first t- paragraph. In, yeah. There are yep. changes in the second paragraph mm-hmm. as it gets into exactly how you target a fireball, which is sort of a whole right. other matter. But note that it still has that 33,000 cubic feet note. It still talks about, you know, all of that besides causing damage to creatures, what catches on fire, metals melt, all that stuff. And the wizard still has to point and speak the range and all that. And then it says uh, the DM rolls the damage and each affected creature suffers either full damage or half damage, blah, blah, blah. The material. Yeah. So it's, it's almost exactly the same still. The whole thing is almost exactly the same. So, you know, even though you're right, in second edition, the writing got a little bit softer for a lot of the game. But yeah, look, this this is almost this. exactly the same. And I assume that the the sense was this is an iconic thing. Right. We can't be changing this. Oh, I'm sure. In in, in almost the same way that descending AC couldn't be changed because it was iconic. Right. That's right. Yep, it was it was considered such an integral part of the D and D idea. The story I that, have heard is that the designers of Second Ed wanted to change it because mm-hmm. they knew that it was you know harder for the majority of players, right? Uh, and the answer sort of landed on no. Then all of our backward compatibility promises right. uh, are are dead on arrival, right? Which you know, fair they would be. Now you have more math to do, but right. the math is loaded on the DM. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> All yeah. right. Um, but uh, this is the version of Fireball that, that I grew up with, and uh, it did successfully lead to the Wizards not using it because using it indoors was just too much of a risk. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. Like This Fireball is uh, sort of caveated and complicated into a non-spell it's great for outdoors but you know how often do i actually get into the right kind of fight there where i need that right right so let's look Uh, at what happened in third edition uh, uh, one last thing i want to say about the uh the backdraft fireball is just uh once you get in like once you go far enough down that line of uh of argument you are just asking for well uh the pcs decide they want the bad guys dead more than they want anything flammable in there so they open the door cast the fireball (laughs) close the door before the backdraft hits and we're good yeah because the the sense of the thing is that the you know orb of fire takes time to travel from your outstretched finger to to maximum range so slam the door you know, uh, <laughs> right. fire in the hole, and we're good. I have now cleared this dungeon with a single spell because 10 dice fireball, what's up? Right. But I mean, yeah. But see, that's, but, but see, that, <laughs> that actually supports the idea that they had to put all these constraints in because imagine if you didn't put those constraints, that's what people would have been doing without. Well, right. Without any care, right? It's very much going to show why uh, uh, damage caps come in, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, actually, let's see. Oh, yeah. There, there is one huge change. Maximum of 10d6. Right. Yeah. The, the yeah, second ed is where the, the, the 10d6 damage cap comes in. Yep. Yeah. There's yeah. not one in first edition. Yep. yep. So, so let's take a look at what they do in third edition. Because uh, it forgot Romans, they felt like they had to explain that as part of the time for troubles. <laughs> Weirdos. Um, all right. So, uh, casting time is a standard action. Uh, 400 feet 
plus 40 foot per level range. It's still a 20 foot radius sphere uh, or spread. Um, instantaneous saving throw is a reflex for half. It's an explosion of flame that detonates with a low roar and deals 1d6 points of fire damage per caster level with a maximum of 10d6, so that kept the maximum. Um, unattended objects also take damage. Explosion creates no pressure. Point your finger. I'm just looking for differences here, right? Glowing pea-sized uh, beats streaks out from the pointing digit and unless it impacts upon material body or solid barrier prior to attaining the prescribed range blossoms into the fireball at that point notice uh it says you point your finger and determine the range distance at height at which the fireball is to burst so that's kind of a subtle but important change because previously it says the wizard points his finger and speaks the range right oh, yeah and 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 when when you say that in first and second edition, right? It literally says in first edition, it says um, the magic user points his or her finger and speaks the range, distance, and height. And he literally meant the magic user player yeah. has to say the range and yeah. the height that they're that they're casting that spell at. But in third edition. It says you point your finger and determine the range. And yep. that doesn't mean you have to speak specifically the range and height that you're casting at. So that is actually a, a very small word change, but that is a very big change, actually. Yep. Now I don't know how it was, I don't know how second edition players played. Right. I know first edition players that that word speak the range, that meant a very specific thing. I don't know what second how second edition players uh, you know, how they considered that term. But I definitely know that third edition, nobody that I knew was like, oh yeah, I know the player has to say, <laughs> you know. Yeah. If Oh, the third edition does add something. If you attempt to send the bead through a narrow passage, such as through an arrow slit, you must hit the opening with a ranged touch attack or else the bead strikes the barrier and detonates prematurely. The fireball sets fire to combustibles, damaged objects in the area. It can melt metals with low melting points such as lead. So it's still still melting gold for you, buddy. Um, yep. If the damage caused to an interposing barrier shatters or breaks through uh, through it, the fireball may continue beyond the barrier if the, if the area permits. Otherwise, it stops at the barrier just as any other spell effect does. Same material component as before. I will say the, the idea of melting an NPC's gold that is in their stuff. <laughs> With a yeah. fireball, uh, third third edition was simply not meant to be played that way. Yeah, right? uh, that's not how cash works in third ed. That that cash belongs to you because the NPC had the temerity to carry it. Yeah, and that yeah. is like if they lose that cash as something you can spend, uh, why do we have this encounter? Is right. is yeah. almost the, the state of things. Yeah, that is. Like the the economy of encounters is such a integral part of of third ad, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see the shift in fourth edition. Yeah. In fourth edition, it says fireball wizard attack five. Now, here's the thing: the reason it's not a third quote third level spell is because wizard attack five means you can take it at fifth level, which is what you can do with a third level spell if you're a wizard in other editions. So that's not really a change. I'm just pointing it out because yep. some people might think, oh, they moved it to a fifth level spell. Well, no, not really. It was always kind of a spell you get at fifth level, and that's all this means here too. Yep. Um, it says a globe of orange flame coalesces in your hand. You hurl it at your enemies and it explodes on impact. It's a daily spell, has arcane fire and implement keywords. It's a standard action to cast it. It's a burst three. So it's going to, uh, within 20 squares of the caster, it's going to erupt out in three squares, which is 15 feet in all directions. Uh, each creature in the burst, you make an attack that uses your intelligence uh, modifier as the attacking mechanic versus the reflex defense of those individuals. Hit is 3d6 plus intelligence modifier fire damage. If you miss, they still take half damage. Um, so there is, there's not really a save here like there was in the other editions because the saves are different in D&D 4th edition. But what happens is this is basically a reliable uh, spell because even if you miss, you're still doing half the damage. Although your maximum damage is 3d6 plus your int mod. So uh, it's, 
yeah. for the benefit of fourth edition players. He does not mean capital R reliable. That is a type. No, no, I do not mean reliable as in you use it, miss, and you still keep it. I don't mean that. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Reliable means a very specific thing in fourth edition. That's not what I mean. I yeah. mean that uh, this isn't a spell that if you uh, if you cast it and you miss everybody, it just did nothing and it's gone. It's yep. still gone either way, but if you cast it and you miss everybody, they still take half damage. It's as if they saved in a previous edition. Yep. And I'll say that for a fifth level daily, this is nice, but it doesn't feel special. Uh, I think if the damage is too low. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it's it's nice, but like you're you're looking at an average of, um, let's call it fourteen and a half damage. Yeah, like cool. Yeah. No it's a travesty. It's yeah. a travesty. <laughs> um, also, if you're not familiar with how uh, area determination works, uh, burst three within 20 squares. As Sam said, that burst three is three squares. That includes diagonals. Diagonals mm-hmm. are not measured right. differently. Uh, so that is ultimately a square that mm-hmm. is uh, uh, six, six squares wide. Or I guess well, there's the there's the middle it's, target. It's really square. a seven yeah. by seven. It's seven by seven, yeah. Yeah, because that middle square is actually part of the burst too. Right. So. so looking at it as being a square, thirty five feet on a side is mm-hmm. sort of what's happening. Yeah. Uh, that's fairly close to what it meant in. Uh, yeah, that's not bad. Earlier editions, right. you know, uh, it, it lost five feet of diameter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's fine. I mean, so here's the thing, right? This is this is very indicative of of fourth edition's way to sort of distill down everything into a very short sort of algorithmic style of telling you what it does. It's very clear. It's very concise. We know exactly what I mean. Look, it took us like two seconds to read this and know exactly what it's what it's doing. Um, And the thing is, it does lose something, right? It doesn't do enough damage. It, it it lost its iconic status because it's not a fireball. It just doesn't really compete very much with the other Mm-mm. spells that are available to you, to you and to yeah. other classes right. at about that level. Mm-hmm. Like, give it about two more dice and we're somewhere. Like, right? look just below it. it. Just below it is is Stinking Cloud, and here's yeah. what it does. Uh, you, you attack versus Fortitude. Uh the effect is that the burst creates a zone of poisonous vapor that blocks line of sight until the end of your next turn. Creatures that enter the zone or start their turns there take 1d10 plus intelligence modifier per poison damage. And as a move action, you can move the zone. So you can move it, right? And you can sustain it. So once you've cast it, you can just move it around the battlefield and you sustain it. That just takes your little piddly minor action. It's only a burst too, but you can move it around so you could chase enemies with it right oh yeah you can really i mean really be obnoxious with yeah it. it's it's great. it's great and so you move it you move it you 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 go after the that those three you know creatures you just move it on them because when they start their turn next they're going to be in it so they can't help but take that damage yeah all right you know? so, so yeah so, so just as a quick comparison to show that they in fact figured out very quickly fireball is kind of sad and we mm-hmm. need to do better yeah. um I'm looking at um, Arcane Power, right? Mm-hmm, Which was mm-hmm. one of the first big yeah. expansions that had more wizard yeah. spells. Uh, so uh, I'm looking at level five daily spells, Acid Mire. Uh, well, this this is a burst one within 10 squares, much smaller area, right. fair. But if you care about intense damage, then you'd probably need a smaller area. Mm-hmm. Uh, intelligence for, versus Fortitude, 3d6 plus Intelligence Modifier, Acid Damage, Miss for Half. So that part's the same, but mm-hmm. then there's an effect line, right? Which means this happens regardless of hit or miss, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the burst creates a zone of caustic slime that lasts till the end of your next turn. The zone is difficult terrain. Each creature that enters the zone or starts its turn there takes five acid damage. Whenever a creature falls prone within the area, it takes five extra acid damage. Sustained minor of the zone persists. Well, mm-hmm. you know that's a lot of output compared to right. to this fireball. 
Well, and that's what I'm saying, though, about Stinking Cloud, because Stinking Cloud, right. when you yeah, first yeah. cast it, you get an attack roll and you could do 1d10 damage and then it has that effect. So even if you miss, though, even if you missed all the attacks for the people in the burst and then you still have the effect. So if those people now start their next turn in that zone, now they end up taking damage anyway. Right. Like that's yep. the whole thing. That's a much more effective spell. And the spell you read is a much more effective spell at the same yep. level you know, as this fireball, like they really, really like, this is, this is a problem for fireball in this edition. I mean, compared, you know, compared to the, the power of fireball in the other editions now granted, okay. They got rid of, Oh, you burn up all your gold. You burn up all the combustibles, you burn up whatever, like they got rid of all that. And they just made it very basic here. You cast a fireball. It covers this amount of area. When it happens, you basically, you make an attack roll against the creatures in the burst. If you happen to miss that, it's as if they saved for half. Otherwise they take this amount of damage. It happens to be a small amount of damage compared to other fireballs in other editions, but like it's, it's a decent spell. It's okay. I'm not, I don't think it's okay for fifth level. I, I would not take it as a fifth level wizard, wizard in right. fourth edition. I would, because right. there's other things that are great. And, and like, it's, it's ideal use case is, man, there are so many minions over there. Mm-hmm. Right. We need, to, we need to just clear yeah. so many dudes right now. And that's not even a use case for yeah. most other editions. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. So, you know, your point about it's lost a lot of the, the quirks and weird drawbacks and such. Uh, that that's the kind of thing that I've been thinking about a lot in you know, D and D design lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into a conversation um, a few days ago. You know, I'm saying this in September. When you're listening to it in, in December or later, <laughs> but I got into a conversation about how um, some particular spells had lost some of their quirks and like specific requirements they placed on the player over over the years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't thinking about Fireball at the time, and I really don't miss the backdraft effect. I'd rather right. explore some other kind of quirk with a spell. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, some real narrative value does get lost when spells get stripped down this much. Mm-hmm. I think that in a sense, just it's it's too clean and uh, just there isn't a, a narrative beat of thought or preparation or inconvenience to make it more memorable. And that's unfortunate. Right. The example my friend used was that uh, spider climb required you to take off your shoes. You had to have mm-hmm. bare feet to spider climb. Right. I thought that was really interesting and like it isn't really all that bad for you, except that if you're in the middle of a fight, stopping and taking off your shoes sucks. And if there might be an acidic surface, you really don't want to do that. Right. Or if you've got like some kind of magic boots on, right? For sure. Yeah. If you have magic boots on, it's a real problem. And that's interesting, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's possible to get into a situation where like, "Mm, yeah, uh, that spell was really good, but, I don't, they're not competing with this magic item and right. Well, fine. I'm in a bad enough situation. I guess I'm taking off my magic boots. Right. And at least you're making an interesting choice, right? Exactly. That, yeah. And, and it's the sense of interesting choice right. that is really what I'm trying to talk about. that I find right. compelling and yeah. you know, the game is not going to, you know, shift course on, on this, but sure. uh, it's interesting well, about what is lost there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, imagine if this was if Fireball was this, right? Uh, in in original edition, right? Because original, well, I mean, th- uh, remember original, the original edition was certainly closer to this. Just with well, no, no, but 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 the original edition. I mean, that's what I'm saying. In terms of number of words, right? It was very concise, right? But if it was only two to three d six. Oh yeah, no, no, it would not have been such an important and powerful spell that would have gone on to become this iconic, like here's a spell that is so powerful and offering so many 
instances of that might be cool to use it, but so scary and so damaging that it could totally screw us over too. Like that's right. actually what's interesting about it. So right. if it if all that all this had was you know this and it was really easy, but yet it only did this little tiny bit of damage, it would be like yeah okay. There would there would have been something else that came along that became the iconic would taken that spot as the iconic spell that you get at third level at that point. Right. Right. And so. To, to draw an example from LARP design, something that we did in Dust to Dust, um, we were introducing a, a spell that was going to create a Fire Lance effect. It, that is just as everybody wants this. This is amazing to have as Fireball in D&D, mm -hmm. right? It's a single target, incredibly good damaging spell. And this was giving you a bunch of activations of it. That is, that is cash money. So we wanted to build in some fear and some tension. And so as you're casting the spell, you, you cast the spell in a preparation step, and then you activate it out of your focus later in the slurp. Okay. But in the casting step, if things go wrong and you backlash, things go really wrong because the spell is called the Great Mark of the Burning Horror. <laughs> and your dreams are on fire for the rest of your life. Oh, that's yeah. that's what that's the fear, right? right? You the spell the spell text doesn't even tell you how bad it gets mm -hmm. because it says backlash C plot. It was the <laughs> first time the players had ever seen a backlash C plot. Yeah. And they they reacted accordingly with oh uh well <laughs> yeah. And they still used it, right? Mm -hmm. it, it it didn't push off the table for getting used. It right. was just this is a is a memorable spell but with tension built in. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you could do something like that with Fireball that still carried tension and complication, but in some different way. Right. You know, other than uh the inherent tension of target each creature in burst. Mm-hmm. Right. Not each enemy in burst. Right. Or each right. creature of your choice in burst. Right. So let's uh, real quick just take a look at fifth edition. And uh, what we what we see here is that it's a third level spell. No surprise. Yep. Casting time, one action. No surprise. Range, 150 feet, uh, 20 foot uh, sphere. Uh, instantaneous uh, worth hunt. saying the 150 feet is a very respectable range in sure in yeah, yeah 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 sure uh, unlike the like 400 from third edition uh yeah, yeah massive 400 yeah. plus 40 per level or something right yeah it was enormous in third yeah. uh and then just 20 square range in in fourth right right i mean 20 squares it, it's still it's good still, range. It's still 100 but feet, but yeah. It's, it's, it's just yeah. 100 feet. Right, yeah. So here's what this says. It says, a bright streak flashes from your pointing finger to a point you choose within range, then blossoms with a low roar into an explosion of flame. Each creature in a 20-foot radius sphere centered on that point must make a dexterity saving throw. A target takes 8d6 fire damage on a failed save, or half as much on a successful one. The fire spreads around corners. It ignites flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried. And then at higher levels, when you cast this spell using a slot of fourth level or higher, the damage increases by 1d6 for each slot above third. So I find it interesting that they went to the 8d6 because that was the, what was it, the, was it the wand that was 8d6? Uh, the staff was 8d6. Staff was 8d6, yeah. So but what's, what's so fascinating about that 8d6 is that that's this and Fireball, sorry, this and Lightning Bolt, Fireball and Lightning Bolt, are allowed to break the curve of expected spell damage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that that curve of expected spell damage is, says this should be a sixty-six fireball, right? But yep, they just made fireball and lightning bolt better than every other spell at third level, right? And no other spells in the game get to break the curve this way. Mm -hmm. And they did that consciously. Oh yeah, that was, malice that forethought. Was a, that was a conscious choice. Conscious choice. Yep. yep. That they're iconic, and they want those icons to shine forth, and so they're just better. Yep. Um, on the other hand, what they don't do is 
any secondary effect. Right, they are raw damage. Um, but it does mean that there really aren't going to be any super appealing direct damage fourth level spells because their expected damage is 76. And when you get to fifth level and you get a direct damage spell of 86, you're thinking, well, am I now? That seems a little bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, I mean, no, to be fair, it does ex- ignite flammable objects. So, no, it does. It does. And so that means it's, it's G, GM's decision, right? DM's decision, uh, what catches on fire. Um, so my point is just that it substantially deforms. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. spell design for at least the next two spell levels. Yeah. Uh, because it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like if you have a fifth level slot anyway, something has to be kicking out more than 10 D six average. It's an average of 35 damage to be worth dealing with as direct damage. There's mm-hmm. plenty of crowd control and, and debuff spells that are worth using, but raw damage, uh, it, it's got to fit into a niche that Fireball and Lightning Bolt don't cover, mm-hmm. such as, well, not hurting my allies uh, mm-hmm. or really being great at wrecking that one guy. So Rolotham's Psychic Lance is still a, a real crowd pleaser of a spell. Right. But um, I have an evoker in my game who's just started. And it's the first time in years I've seen an evoker at the table. And so every single time she uses a big evocation right on top of all of her allies, I stop and say, wait, but, oh yeah, you have sculpt spell. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I think she's having a, a really good time uh, getting that reaction from everyone at the table. It's like, yeah. yep, I just sculpt spells. This is easy mode. Bing. <laughs> Murder. And, and it's great. Like, uh, She's awesome. Nice. All right. Well, I think this might be the end of this episode. Yep. This fireball has finally reached its target and detonated. And it melted all my gold. Well, that's because Gygax hates you. (laughs) I mean, not personally, just your player. Right. Yep. So uh, where can uh, can listeners find you on this year internet? Oh, you can find me on uh, Mastodon at DMSamuel at Dice.Camp, and uh, you can find me on RPGMusings.com, and you can find me on The Tome Show. What about you, sir? Well, you can find me on uh, Blue Sky uh, at social. Um, you can uh, find me on Facebook, uh I don't really recommend that. I don't really talk about gaming there, but um, my my social media profile has shifted sharply in the past <laughs> twenty four hours because I'm deleting MeWe, uh, where I mm. did occasionally talk about gaming. Um, anyway, uh, you can also f- uh, find my writing on tribality.com and brandastutter.com, and my Patreon is brandastutter. Excellent. All right. Have a happy holiday, folks. <laughs> <laughs>